0: Good
1: evening and praise the Lord. (laughs) We're back in the house again with online Bible study. And so we're going to see if tonight we can pray and then see if we can get into the Word of God for tonight. So let's see if we can pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity again to come into your house. We thank you for the Word of God. And we ask tonight that you continue to lead us and to guide us in your truth. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen, Praise the Lord. All right, We want to take this opportunity to welcome those of you who are out there online with us tonight, as well as those who are in the house live with us tonight. We want to again um, thank everybody who's coming out and everybody who's working back there in the media ministry to make all this stuff happen. Um, we're excited about that. Um, we're going to go ahead and continue our lesson in the book of First Timothy. And tonight, we're going to be dealing with 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. And before we begin that, I will say that tonight, um, you know, that it depends on how far we get in it. Uh, we definitely will be dealing with some areas that I think, I'm not sure if we'll finish it tonight. But of course, areas that raise a certain amount of controversy in the church, um, especially in the Western countries, you know, where lots of things regarding women's rights and other stuff have come up, but where Paul has made some pretty explicit statements about um, how the church should function and what we should be doing. Um, As an example, when we get to verse 12, you'll see where he says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. And so we're going to have to have some discussion about what does that mean? Um, You know, what you see going on in the church. Um, I have my own personal opinion about it, but that's all it is. And I I try to base it on Scripture, um, and I think that that's what we ought to be doing if we're going to try and um, live our lives out. So basically what we're going to do, we'll read... Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read verse 1 through 15 and then we'll begin to kind of exegete each of these passages as we go through it. So let's begin with verse 1. I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved and childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All right, so let's start off with uh, verses 1 through 4, well, we're probably 1 through 6, together they will kind of all kind of go together as we walk our way through it. We see here in verse 1 that Paul starts off telling us something that he says, first of all. So whenever you hear somebody saying, first of all, or this is the last thing, uh, like when he says, finally, brethren, in Ephesians, you know, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. We know we're saying, we're wrapping. Well, here Paul is saying, look, this is the first thing y'all need to pay attention to. All right. Now, remember we said that the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus are kind of pastoral epistles where he's basically talking to Timothy as a pastor, Titus as a pastor. These are the things that the church should be doing. So Paul then says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, this is the very first thing out of the shoe, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All right, so right here we see Paul saying, first of all, look, church, and, and again, as I say, you know, prayer, they say across the country, um, and throughout the world, they say, except when you go to, say, like Muslim countries or something like that, which, again, for us, just I, I, don't, I don't have an explanation for us. I, I really don't know what's going on. I don't. You know, they, they're very religious, I guess, in what they're doing, and they're going to go to the mosque, and they're going to go three, four times a day. They're going to pray. They're going to do what they're doing. If they're at work, they have to stop, and we give them time to go do their prayers and all that. And Christians just, you know, lallygagging, doing whatever they're doing praying if they can, praying if they're not. When Paul makes it clear, because people will say, well, that's the discipline I like in uh, the mosque and all that. But for Christians, we are told that first of all, it should be supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks should be made for all men. So this is the first thing we're supposed to be doing. Paul says is that prayer is first on the list, Not, not reading the Bible, not any of the prayer, that we need to pray. What are we we doing? We're praying, he said, for all the men, good men, bad men. It it says all men, doesn't qualify the men, you know, it says all men. And then he goes on to say, what else, he says. Verse 2, he says, for kings, for all that are in authority, and he tells us why. Okay, so we're praying for these people, you know, like there may be people who didn't vote for President Biden, doesn't matter. Bible says we as Christians should be praying for him. May not have voted for whoever the governor is or some other person, but he says you should be praying for them. Why? But he gives us a reason. He says that the reason that we're doing this is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So a lot of people believe then that, you know, um, they they got all kinds of ideas about what I guess the Christian life is supposed to be, but apparently Paul tries to make it clear We're praying um, for all men. We're praying for kings and those, especially those in authority, because it's people in authority who make the rules, pass the laws. And Paul's position is we should be praying for them that whatever they're doing, that we might be able to live our life quiet and peaceably in all godliness and honesty. So in other words, you know, God has saved us. And his intention is that we now are the people of God. We live out our lives as Christians. We walk out as believers as we wait for Christ to return. You know, so much is made to do about, you know, this life and what people want to do and now that God saved you, what's your purpose and all this stuff. When really Paul says, look, this is what we're supposed to be doing. You've gotten saved you now realize that this whole thing is really a big deception going on. And what you have to do is make your way through this without allowing the devil to get you off track. And off track is off track of your salvation. That's why Paul can say, it doesn't matter if you're a a slave, hey, make use of it. If you're free, make use of it. If you're married, make use of it. If you're not, make use of it. Don't allow your current condition to dictate to you your relationship now with God. You are now a member of the body of Christ and God may bring some things for you to do and in your life or whatever, but the main thing for you to do is to learn about Christ, grow in faith, and try to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And then he says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So, so, He's telling us that praying for all these people, praying so that what? The people in authority will pass these laws and do things so that when it's all over, we can live quietly and peaceably and godliness with peace. And at the time Paul's writing this, you got Nero and all the craziness going on. He's telling them even then to pray for leaders who are actually persecuting the church. Now, if you look at what eventually ends up happening, the entire uh, Roman government eventually turns and Christianity becomes accepted at some point. Now, again, this is when it becomes a bit of a problem for them, too, because once the Christianity became accepted, well, then just about anybody could claim to be a Christian. But what it did do was it brought about a peaceable existence for the church for a period of time that they were able to live in peace and other things. And as you look, if you pay attention to what happened, Uh, in the world over the last 2,000 years, Christianity grew to the point that uh, being a Christian was what you were wanting to claim, depending on where you were and stuff like that, because then you would be able to live out your life fairly quietly and peaceably. The issue of godliness and honesty is what comes about in terms of whether or not people were doing it. But then he tells us that this is good and it's acceptable to God. You know, I, I, I say this all the time. Somebody mentioned this. I was reading a commentary, and they said, well, there was something in here that they saw. And they said, well, it doesn't mean that God can't do uh, something because God is God, he can do what he want to do. Right, God is God, but he's bound by his word. If we bind God to his word, it becomes so much easier to follow God. But if we take the position that because God is God, he can do whatever he want to do whenever he want to do it, then you don't know what God's going to do then, and you don't know what he's up to. You may be able to not know exactly what, when God's going to move and how he's going to move, but you know what God's not going to do because God already said, that's not what I do, and I'm not telling y'all to do that. So he's not going to violate his word. Now, when you look at the, um, when Jesus came, and this is why the Pharisees and, and Sadducees and many were rejecting Christ because they didn't know what God had done that they weren't, couldn't see. So in other words, when the Bible says that in Micah, that um, the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. Well, Jesus, they said, was from Galilee. They said, go look. Out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and the, and the Messiah is coming out of Bethlehem. He can't be the Messiah. Well, the problem was they didn't know what had happened. They had no idea. God had fulfilled his word. But there's some things that I'm saying that God says you can't deny them. They're right there. You can't say, well, maybe God's doing something different um, because he... Decided to, you know, that's we're going to talk about that in a minute when we get to it. All right. So we see here then that God says it's good and acceptable. We should be praying. There's no question about whether God wants us to pray for anybody, whether it's the president currently or the president, the last one we had. People didn't like Trump. Didn't matter. We were supposed to be praying for him as the president so that he might whatever they do, that they might pass things that our life could be peaceable, peaceable and we could live out a quiet life. Then, verse 4 tells us a desire that God has. He says, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Okay, now, think about the world as it is right now and all the stuff that you hear going on, all things people are saying. Paul says that another one of the reasons we're praying, we're praying so that we can live our life in godliness and peaceable, but we're also praying so that because God has a desire. Now, here once again we see that just because God has a desire doesn't mean it comes to pass, all right? So this is where we once again can put to, to rest the thing that makes it sound like, well, if God wants something, he gets it because he's God. This is another situation where people's choice comes in and we can see it. The Bible says us, God, he, it's his will to have all men to be saved. But Jesus told us there are few who find the way. He said there are few be that find it. He said many are going to go in the broad way that leads to destruction and few will find the narrow path to life. Well, how can that be if it's God's will that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Well, because they have a choice. So what we're supposed to be doing is praying. All right, because a lot of what we see out there may have a lot to do with a lack of prayer going on with us. But the point is that if we go before God and we're praying and we're asking, we're doing our part. This is acceptable to God to say, God, these people who are cursing you, and saying you don't exist, saying whatever they're saying, pray that their eyes might be open, that they might come to the truth, that they might be saved. And it means that we're really supposed to go to God. That's why when you look at what Paul said, supplication, intercession, you know, we, we, supplication is like deep brokenness. And the question for most of us, and I just ask my own self, when was the last time you really got broke up about somebody you don't like out there or the world in general that they might be saved? You know what I'm saying? That really these people are going to go into hell and God, please, please, please do something to intercede and, 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 and break the bondage that's in these people's lives. But Paul says, this is what should be on our agenda as we supplicate for men and make intercession for them, giving thanks to God that he might One, allow these people in authority to pass laws that will keep us living our life in quietness and peaceableness and all-godliness and honesty. But also then that there may be circumstances that would move men to salvation. When God says it's his desire that all men be saved. He said not only that, but that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, now, this is one of those things where, you know, you you say all the time to people, um, absolute truth. Well, they say all the time, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You listen to people now today, you're living your truth, I'm living my truth, and the Bible is clear. That's why I love the Word of God. I really do. The Bible is clear. There is the truth, and God is trying to get the truth to people, and he tells us our responsibility as the church is to pray for everybody, all men. Pray for these people. (laughs) Supplicate, intercede, pray for them. Why? That we might live peaceably and that God might be able to get to them the knowledge of the truth because God doesn't want people to go to hell. The devil is the one who's going to hell eventually and he wants to take as many humans with him as he can. And God's desire is that that not happen. And so he's saying, look, I need you all to be praying. Well, but God, why do we have to pray? If you can do it, why do we have to pray? Because he told us to. <laughs> That's our position. Our position is to pray and to ask God. And, and then because, see, I, it, I think from reading the scriptures the way the Bible appears, and we'll see it when we look in Genesis tonight again, because God gave us dominion over the planet. Man is here. Satan is here. Jesus came as a man, defeated the devil, and then gave us the ability now to have the spirit of God and to walk our life here. But we are here. This is our dominion. You know, God can intervene if he wants to in things, but that's not God's pattern of doing things. God intervenes when it's time for him to intervene, but the way things are supposed to naturally roll out is that we pray, we seek God, we preach. That's why Paul says, you'll see it in a verse coming up, that he's been ordained to preach, okay? So we see then that This is the truth. Look at verse 4. He says, who will have all men to be saved. He wants them to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth. What is the truth? Verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So God says, here it is. I'm laying it out for you. I need you all to pray. Because I want these people to be saved and I need them to come to the knowledge of the truth because that's the only way they can be saved. And this is the truth. There's one God, me, and there's one mediator between me and y'all. And that's Jesus and nothing else. I know y'all doing all this stuff and y'all coming up with all these philosophies and you're saying all these things. And y'all believe all this and you're saying to Christians, why y'all think y'all got exclusive rights? Because that's the truth. God has exclusive rights. We, we are not claiming to be exclusive. God claimed this exclusivity. Jesus in one place even said, in the book of John, I think it was, he said, Father, I, I pray that they might know eternal life, which is to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is the this constant theme throughout all the Gospels, through the book of Acts, and now on throughout these letters, including to the pastors. Now, when you get I want to focus on verse 5 briefly for a minute because this is where some of the crazy doctrines come from from people who want to say Jesus is not God and he's just a man. It says it right there. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So then there's one God and the Bible makes it clear that Jesus isn't God, he's a man. There's one mediator between God and man. Okay. So let's do this right quick. Let's go to one scripture that just blows this all up to me. I mean, that, even that kind of discussion in the book of Hebrews. If we go to Hebrews chapter one and we'll read Hebrews chapter one. And we'll read verse one through nine. Let's read one through nine. Hebrews one, one through nine. All right. Let's look at it. God. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and holding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now pay attention to this verse. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Now let's just stop right there. All right, so... The Bible says that when Jesus was born, God commanded the angels to worship him. Now, n- everywhere in the scriptures, the Bible make it clear, no one gets worshiped but God. You can't worship men. You can't <laughs> worship anything but God. So if God commanded his angels to worship this babe, then something is going on here. Well, yeah, what's going on is it's God the Son. Now look at the next verse. Verse 7, and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels f- spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So in other words, he's God. But God the Father, he considers his God. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like having a dad. You know, you're you're a man. He's a man. But you're never more man than your dad. And you always reverence your father. And if, if we could all live forever, my dad was 27 years older than me. But he was always my dad. So even if now I'm 100 and he's 127, he has the first place. He's my dad, he's over me, always over me, even though we are of the same substance, same essence, and we're men. We both have children, we have all that, but I'm his child, I have children, but the reality is, he's my dad. Same thing with Jesus. God, the Bible says when the first begotten was brought into the world, God said, let all the angels worship him, because he's not like y'all, y'all are angels, this is my son, he is, he is my essence, I, in my express image, I, I how he existed with God from the beginning. We don't know that because the scriptures don't really tell us. But the Bible does tell us that God created everything by Him. So don't, we don't know what that means. I, I tell people sometimes it's possible. I don't know this though because the scripture don't tell you. But it makes it clear to you that Jesus, He said, "Behold, a body you've prepared for me." So that baby, that body he inhabited he came from somewhere and came down it could be i tell people all the time i don't know the bible says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god okay well if if those words coming out if that's jesus well then still it's god because your words are you only god speaks pure you know everything that god says is true pure true and pure everything he don't lie he just pure Sometimes we misrepresent. You know, we saying things, you know, because we, for whatever our reasons are. But God, when he's speaking, it's just all truth, all pure, all everything. So when God said, let there be light and the world was created, okay, well, maybe that, I don't know. I have no idea how he existed with God. All I know is the Bible says he was with God, he created the worlds, and God let, told the angels to worship him. This takes away all that crazy talk about Satan being Jesus' brother and all the stupid stuff that people come up with. The scriptures plainly denounce all of this and make it clear to us Jesus is one of a class all by himself. He is a man. He is God. He sits now on the right hand of God with a light that no one can approach, has never seen and can see, irrespective of all the I went to heaven books. Bottom line is Paul said it's a light that can't even be approached and nobody can see it. It's just that bright. So the reality then is that Jesus is God, even though he is what? We're told now in Timothy, he is the one mediator between God and man. And the Bible tells us in one place, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Let me just go there too while I'm talking about it. I mean, you know, we might well use the Bible. That's why we call it Bible study. Let me see. All right, here, here we go. I want to I wanna go here so we can kind of take a look at this. Um, this is where the Bible is talking about um, Jesus's position as a high priest, and that the high priest always went in and offered sacrifices and um, offerings for the people and for their sins. So, the Bible is trying to explain how there's been a change of the priesthood, you know, the priesthood of the Levite now to Melchizedek and Jesus then being after the order of Melchizedek. And that Jesus' decision uh, was that he wanted to be uh, like his brothers. He, he did not want to be. He didn't take on the form of angels. He basically came so that he could uh, be a merciful high priest for us. So let me see where. Uh, let me see what I'm looking for, right? All right, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to look at, um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's go to, let's look at verse 10 through, let's just go 22, 10 through 22. All right, this is what it says in Hebrews 10, 10 through 22. All right. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standing daily ministereth and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the Bible says then that Jesus is this sacrifice that God gave for us. In one place, they said, Jesus said, Abraham, um, before Abraham was, I am. And in one place, he said, Abraham uh, saw my day and he was glad. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How could Abraham have seen you? And they didn't understand what was going on. If you think about when Abraham went up on the mountain, God said, Abraham, take your son, your only begotten son, and sacrifice him on the mountain. And so he went up on the mountain and he kept saying, He said, I see the wood. That's what I was saying. I see the wood, I see the fire, <laughs> but where the sacrifice? And Abraham kept saying, The Lord will provide a sacrifice for himself. He kept saying that. Then he got up there and he tied him on the altar. Well, I guess I, I, by that time, Isaac realized what was going on. But the Bible says that Abraham received him back as from the dead in a figure. It was, a, it was a, like a foreshadowing of what was going to happen. And he raised his hand to slay him, and God said, don't do it. He said, now I know that you love me, that you would not behold from me your only begotten son. Well, then he turned and saw in the bush a ram. And God provided a sacrifice for himself. He, that's what he's talking about. Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. He didn't realize that's what he was seeing. That lamb in the bush, that ram, that was Jesus. That's God providing a sacrifice for himself. You don't have to sacrifice yourself, your children, your life, God provided a sacrifice for himself, but that's the only sacrifice he's going to take. And therefore, if you rebuke rebuke that or renounce it or whatever, there's no more sacrifice for sin. That's what the Bible says. Hold on. I don't mean to keep jumping around, but we're going to make our way through it. I, I want you to look at. Here we go. All right. This is, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 6, and let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, and let's look at verse 1 through 12. We're going to look at 1 through 12. All right, we're going to read that. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, Thus, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you've showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slowful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, in other words, God says that look, once you you need to move on past this elementary stuff now. And that doesn't mean that you somehow put down these things, but he's saying moving on to maturity in how we live. Because ultimately, it's impossible, he says, that. Christ has already been sacrificed once. He's not going to be sacrificed again. And if you now turn back, you're basically turning your back on the only perfect sacrifice. Well, how can a man be a perfect sacrifice when God has said, there is no man that's righteous, no, not one. Well, obviously there's something different about this man. If he could be the perfect sacrifice and that the sacrifice of his blood once for all cleanses the whole world of sin. Why? Why is it called the New Testament? Because the Bible says that while the testator is alive, nothing goes into effect. Well, who is the testator? Whose will is this? It's God's will. Old Testament, New Testament. Well, the Old Testament, the Bible says, was dedicated with blood. But what blood? Bulls and goats. But God said the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. He needed real blood but he needed his own blood. So God makes this New Testament. He says, this is my promise, that I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to write my laws into your heart and into your minds, and your sins and iniquities, while well, I remember them no more. That's my New Testament to you. But as long as the testator is alive, you can't have the promise. You see, it's like my dad. As long as my dad was alive, his will, you ain't getting none of that. When he passed, that's when you inherit. Well, as long as Jesus was walking around, As long as he was alive, all he could do is let them partake of healing and doing things, but they never had the Spirit inhabit them. That's why the Bible called him the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. Once he died though, God, once God the Son died, now the inheritance kicked in, and we got our first earnest, we call it, of the inheritance, which is the Holy Ghost. So now Jesus went into heaven, baptize us with our inheritance, the earnest of it, we got part of it, and now we walk in that power. Why? Because God died, and when he died, he rose again and did what? Gave us what we deserve, and if we want our full inheritance, then we got to walk this thing out. So that's enough about Jesus being God, and we're going to move on from there, because people will take that scripture, and they'll just start going, 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 You know, that right there tells you uh, Jesus is the man because it says the man is one God. Right. But you need to go learn some scripture. All right. So now we're going to move on from there. Now, the Bible then tells us in verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. In other words, Jesus ransomed himself for everybody to be testified in due time. Then verse 7, Paul says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. All right, you see that? Paul said everywhere, everywhere you go, you need to be praying. We should be praying all the time. We don't need to go back to the temple. We don't need to come to church on Wednesday. We need to pray everywhere. Everywhere we are, we should be praying. And we're praying for what? He said we should be praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The whole idea of holy hands means that we come to God, we live our lives with integrity. He's saying that I'm praying, every, we should be praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands. That don't mean you have to walk around with your hands lifted up. That's not what he's saying. But this is kind of like the same equitable doctrine that you see in court, of they call it un, uh, clean hands doctrine. In other words, if you come into a court, and let's say, for instance, they call it equity court, the law won't give you what you want. Let's say you have a contract with somebody, and the contract basically is enforceable the way it is, but it's not fair. There's something about it that's not fair. Well, a court of equity can resolve it in a way that they can do some things to change that contract if the court thinks it's not fair. But they have a doctrine called clean hands. So let's say, for instance, when you entered into that contract with somebody, you did it under fraud. You pretended to be somebody you're not or whatever the case might be. Well, you don't have clean hands. So if you come into an equity court with unclean hands, they kick you out and say you don't have a right. So God is saying, I therefore want you to pray. I want men praying everywhere, all the time. You should always be praying. you at work and your boss ain't saved, pray. You know, you can work and pray. You know, pray. We work and think about all kind of other stuff. Work and pray. Pray, pray, pray. Save him, Lord, please. Save them. Save them. Don't want them to go to hell. Pray. But come to me, he says, with clean hands. You know, make sure that your hands Are clean and you don't have a bunch of stuff going on. All right now we're about to enter into a little controversy. Let's see if we can deal with this. Now he then begins to deal with the women in the church. All right so now remember what we said we got going on here. Paul tells us what he's talking now to him as a pastor. He's told him what we ought to be doing in terms of praying for everybody. The church ought to be concerned with everybody's salvation praying for leadership and everything else. We understand who Jesus is and the truth of how that works. Now he wants to talk about day-to-day living inside of the church, and he begins with the women. The first thing that he says, we'll read verse 1, I mean, 9 through 11, and then, no, let's do 9 and 10. He says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. All right, so let's stop for a minute. All right, so Paul is not, when we read it, necessarily trying to set up a dress code for the church. He's not saying, "Look, y'all need to get a dress code. People can't wear gold. They can't wear pearls. They can't." That, that's that's really not where we're going here when you really listen to what Paul says in verse 10. see he says, but which which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So we know for sure Paul is trying to draw attention to what it is that should be important to the women of the church. The idea of drawing attention to themselves based upon what they look like, what they wear, and he, he talks about their hair. He talks about their gold and their pearls and their costly clothes. So it's obvious that Paul is like, look, when he says in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. All right. So then he distinguishes modest apparel from this other stuff. There's a difference between the two. Now, people can. I just not had enough of people. I'm serious. I have. I've just had enough of people. I can't take people no more. You can read this and it's very plain. People can do whatever they want to do. I don't care. I was just told to teach it. I just teach what I'm reading. And to me, that's very clear. There's a distinction being drawn between modest apparel and this other stuff. And then he says, shamefacedness and sobriety. And what those words actually mean is there's a certain amount of humility that God says Christian women should walk with. That when they're in public, the way they should handle themselves, the way they come off, the way they do stuff, there's a way that Christian women ought to do that. But that's something I leave with Christian women, because I ain't no woman, and I'm not going to, as God got to deal with the women. But the scriptures are clear, that this is the expectation God has of Christian women. Yeah, I mean, just, you can't make your own pattern and you do your own thing. You have to see what God is saying. And I believe that this is why God ends up resisting people so much in their lives, because they, they refuse to go with what the scriptures say. Everybody keeps saying, well, I believe the Bible. Right, except when there come chapters we don't believe, then we start scratching stuff out and putting bold print on or whatever we're doing or saying things like, well, that applies to the church back then. You got to remember this was Eastern culture and Paul was talking to Jewish women and all that. When then you go down to verse 13, let's jump down there right quick. Well, Adam and Eve were not Jews. It says, for Adam was first formed then Eve. So we know that God is not talking about he's talking about something universal here. There's something going on universal here. And if you go out into the world and you go just be honest, let's just be honest uh, as we can. If you go out into the world, most of the time, you, whenever you find people being drawn into anything through seduction, you go and look at anything that has to do with pornography, And most of all of the wickedness going on out there like that, women are used a lot to make that happen. You look at all of the major theme songs that are going on now. They're being sung by female singers that are talking about sexual acts and all kind of other stuff. They dress up certain ways, very seductive. They expose parts of their body that, you know, doing what they're doing, because all of that lust and all of that demonization that Satan heightens up, that seductivity, draws in people to destruction. And it's just the way it is. And that's just God says, and I need Christian women to stay away from that. That ain't what we do. That's not what we ought to be doing. And we need to avoid it. And if we don't, you know, well, that do what you want. But, you know, you should. Now. Let's move on. So he says that they really should be dressing themselves with good works. God says, I'm looking at your lifestyle, what you're doing. I ain't looking at your clothes. I'm not concerned about your things. And if your clothes are drawing attention to you, you need to think about changing them. Yeah, yeah, the bottom line is that God's like, look down, that's not what people are doing in here. You should be people should be drawn to you because of you're, you're dressed in the good works that you do. And those good works are what the quality. Um, I was telling Sister Lori yesterday, you know, I was talking about something, and I said, you know, God already made it plain on beauty. God said beauty is vain. I don't even know what else needs to be said. People are all running to the, uh, people to get their face lifted and all them things they're doing. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? God said, God said this now, beauty is vain. Okay, now, let's just go see. I ain't no sense of me sitting here acting like I'm making it up. I know. I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 31 because that's where he talked about it. That's where he talked about the virtuous woman. But all I want to do is go grab this scripture right quick. All right, let's see. Let me see. Oh, Lord. Here we go. We go to verse, this is Proverbs 31. And we're looking at, let's look at verse 29 through 31. Proverbs 31. 29 through 31. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. All right, you know, I mean, it's just, and if anybody stays around long enough and watches men or women long enough, the truth of the scriptures play themselves out, you know. No matter, how, bottom line is we eventually change, and you know, in that beauty or whatever we had at one time, it, it fades away. But you know what God says that don't matter to Him. He's not He's not concerned about that. And we want to get God's favor and not man. But if we spend so much time trying to cater. Um, to people, then we're always worried about that what we look like and what they think about what we look like and how we're dressed and what we have on and do they think we're cute and do they think this when all of that don't matter because they ain't God they can't save us they can't save our souls and then as soon as you know we're no longer that then they're not, we're not, they're not drawn to us anyway You know, I mean, so I just think that people need to recognize the truth of God's word. And so in verse 10, he says it again, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. All right, now let's move on to verse 11, get a little more controversy going on. Pow, pow. He says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Well, welcome to the West and women's lib, because this, they'll tell you right now, Paul was just talking about the times, Eastern culture, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you go to Eastern culture, like when I was dealing with the folks in um, Pakistan, the Christian church, they don't have a problem with this. You go in there, the women sit on one side, the men sit on the other side, the men do whatever they do, women do what they do. Everybody doing that thing. It's only when you got into these uh, Western cultures where everything else is exposed as well. Um, you know, so the Christian church has in it you know, women pastors and just everything, and you know, everybody running around doing everything. Why? Because they got liberty, right? But the reality is this is the Bible. Now, so we want to look at what the Bible <laughs> says, not my thoughts. I just want to read the Bible again. So he says, let women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now here, he does not say women can't teach. He says that women are not to teach nor to assert authority over men. All right? So the idea then is that women can teach women. Women can teach the children. Women, can do what? women are commanded, and God says in the scripture, they're not to teach or assert authority over men. Now, people get upset. Well, why, how can that woman? Well, if God want to raise him up a woman pass this way. I'm going to now. You know, they would say this. Well, if God can raise up who he wants, if God want to raise up a woman pass, he can. Well, then God's a liar then. God said right here don't do that. Well, if God say don't do it, how he going to do it? Because God can do what he want to do. No, he can't. No, he cannot. No, he cannot. Let me tell you why he can't. All right, let me take you over one place. Here we go. I want you to go to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Well, let's look at verse 1 and 2. Titus 1, verse 1 through 2. All right, look at what it says. Beginning of verse 1. Let's use verse 1. There you go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the word began. All right, so God can't lie. All right, so if God tells you something, then he, he can't lie. So, so he can't go changing. God says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Okay, So now, over here, God tells us, he don't like say, in verse uh, 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to serve authority over the man unless God decide to do something about that. That ain't what he's saying. He's giving us a rule so we know how to run church. Now, let's use an example. People say, well, pastor, they stand up and teach the devotional. No, no they don't. What they don't do is teach men, they are using my devotional. I wrote that. Okay, I wrote that devotional. They chose a devotional, and then they are telling you why they chose it. And then they go through my devotional and tell you what I said and why they chose it and how it helped them. They're not up here teaching you, to preach to you, or to teach you. That's not their position. That's not what they're doing. That's not what they're supposed to do. What they're supposed to do is to take what I have. This is a devotional moment. Here's a devotional. Why did we put this in here anyway? Because a lot of people don't even read it. Shame, shame, shame on you. But the only time they get the devotion is on Sunday morning, right? So every day we have a devotional. So here now you have a moment where now you have these ladies who stand up, And they open a devotional, they read it, and then they are to tell you why they chose this devotional. When I read it, what did it do in my life? What did pastor's teaching teach me that I'm telling you that benefited me so y'all are going to get your own devotional? Yeah, and go get it. This is how it applies. That's what's going on. This is not a, 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 a preach moment. You know, that's not what's going on. We're not up here surping a thought. Now, in the back, they teach the children. They, they can do that. Now, what's interesting is, like I said, when we get to 12, 13, in the Jewish culture, men were considered to become men at like the age of earliest 12, latest 13. So that's not the reason I'm making the shift, but the fact that I'm seeing the boys start acting like this at 12 and 13, tells me it's time for men to take over y'all teaching because y'all gonna get out of hand back here and y'all gonna not understand how y'all need to deal with these ladies. So y'all need to be taught now what men need to teach y'all. And reality becomes then that we all have a place. Now, this has nothing to do with what's going on outside of church. I mean, women have the right to go out and do and be and handle the world any way God blesses their life to be. Run companies, do whatever, this is talking about church, God's church. People say, yeah, but it should. Well, whenever you allow the spirit of the world to start telling the church how to do stuff, they're going to tell us anything they need to go. It don't matter. Same-sex marriage, we need to have, we need to have, uh, uh, um, you know, all that going on too. They're going to tell us what we need to do. And we ain't right because we won't conform to their image when that's not what God has told us to do. God tells us how to conform to his image. This is what he wants his church to look like. Well, I know, Pastor, this church, that got, I don't care. I'm not going to talk about them people. All I can manage is this right here. But I know I'm reading this Bible, and some people will not read. The, <laughs> they don't read it this way. They'll say, like I said, that it's Eastern culture, it's this, it's that, it's the other. But with the reason we know that this is not what's going on is we see in verse 13, he says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. So, so we know that this is a deeper principle God has going on here. He's not talking to us about um, something that's going on in a culture. God's talking to us about order that he created, an order that he's put in place. And that's why he references Adam and Eve. He don't say, well, you know, this Jew is doing that right now. So when y'all get to America, y'all do whatever y'all want to do. That's not uh, our uh, France or uh, or. Uh, uh, any of these other places. And everywhere that you find this stuff going on, you also find all the craziness going on in these societies. Now, I'm not going to say that I agree with these people, what they do, because I don't. I mean, I think that, you know, they, they rely on a lot of old-time principles that are not good. But this is why Paul said, don't let your liberty be an occasion to the flesh. When you go into the Muslim countries and stuff, they literally, pornography and all that kind of stuff, if they catch you with that stuff, they will, like, literally cut people's hands off and do all kind of stuff to people. It doesn't mean it ain't going on, but it's not allowed publicly in society. Whereas, like, in America, as long as you're not dealing with child pornography or anything else, they just ask you, you over 18, you can click yes, you can look at anything you want, buy anything you want. They don't have that in their society. When you go over there, that's not there. They're not going to be adult bookstores and any of that. It ain't even in their society. And so... It's a shame that they have all of that and understand it, yet they don't have Christ. Then you go into these societies that claim to be progressive that have God and the Christians, but they have all this filth as well. And that liberty has basically slid us into this kind of living that ain't right before God. And so then we start embracing all the other elements of the world including um, this the women live thing, you know, and, and so now all of a sudden, well, it ain't fair that women can't do what men do. We ain't talking about fairness here. We're talking about what did God say? You know, what did God say? Now, I'm like this. If God didn't say it, I wouldn't care. But I, I've never been able to reconcile this scripture with that stuff because I don't understand it. If you have men in your church now if you just had a church full of women, I guess I could see how you could, I guess you could lead them. But if you got men, you're teaching them and taking authority over them. And you can see how that's perverted. I don't know why people don't understand it, why they don't see that as being off. But, you know, people don't do what they want to do. Let's go and see what the book says in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Now, remember what I said. Women go out and be CEOs and all that good stuff. What we're talking about now is God and running the church. Genesis 1, let's look at verse 26 through 31. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created him them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which there is fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, if we look over in chapter 2, and if we look at verse, let's go down to verse, we're going to go to verse six, 15. We'll look at verse 15 through 25. Let's read 15 through 25. We're going to read 15 through 25 in chapter 2 of Genesis. All right. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So the man's by himself. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God made the man. He's by himself. God commands the man. Then, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Stop. So God, in his order of things, says, I put Adam in here. This is what I want you to do. Don't eat from that tree. He gave him the command. And then God looked and said, it's not good for you to be by yourself. So the woman was nowhere on the scene. (laughs) She, She didn't exist yet. All right? So God has an order. So God then says... It's not good for you, Adam, to be alone. So I'm going to make somebody to help you. That's God's plan, right? I made this man. I want him to do this stuff. He needs somebody to help him. I'm going to make a companion that's suitable for him. Then the Bible says this, verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Now watch this now, how, how he says he's going to make somebody meet for him, right? But then it, then it starts talking about the animals, You notice how people say all the time, my dog is my best friend. You might want him to be, but you can't marry your dog. You love your horse. I get it. Great companion. You ride him all through the mountains, but your horse can't marry you. You can't have children. You can't have a family with a horse. Look at what God did. See what it says? It starts talking about the animals. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, every living creature that was named thereof, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. Out of every beast, out of everything, out of everything coming, Adam naming them all, there still ain't nothing for Adam that could help him. So the Lord did this in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And then the next chapter gets us dealing with the devil, and we're not going to deal with that right now. But we see then what happened. So now let's go back to Timothy. And we're not going to make it through all this tonight. We're going to pick up here next week. Let's go back what he says, though. You see what he says? But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So he puts it all together and says, okay, this was God's order when we first got started. If y'all realize what's going on, God is trying to give you kind of as close to Eden as y'all can get right now. I'm going to bring you back. I already told you, beginning at the beginning, pray for all the men, kings and people in authority. Why? That you could live a peaceable and honest life in all godliness and holiness and honesty. Why? Because Jesus is coming back eventually. And we want to be ready for it. And God wants us to be living our lives in a way that's holy and righteous. He then moves and says what? I'm a preacher. I'm preaching this to you. And then he says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. And then he addresses the Christian women. And he says, this is what I want you all to do. All right? You all are the eaves." In this garden that I've recreated now, that I've done what? Saved you all and brought you all to the knowledge of me again. Men, take authority over the church, which is the garden of God. Take authority. You didn't take it back then. What you did was you allowed your wife to tell you she got deceived. You were not in the deception. The Bible says this in another place. We'll get there uh, next week. We're not going to do it now but you followed her into the deception. You were knowledgeable. You followed her into it. Why would you do that? Well, now guess what? You you fell with her and I kicked all y'all out the garden. He says, but now what I need you to do is take authority again. This is your dominion. Women, please, don't be like the worldly women. Can you cover yourself up? Dress modestly. Stop drawing attention to yourself. Beauty is vain. The devil going to play that. That's what he does all the time. And that's why when you look at all these different churches where people fall into sin, it's, it's a pastor messing with some wife, or something going on stupid up in there. It's got something to do with, uh, yes, you, you got something that's going on with people. All right. Thank you. You got something that's going on with people. I'm gonna, we're going to do this prayer request before we uh, sign off. All right. And, and, and we got to understand that this is the problem. And so God says, now that I've done this, I've set this up, and if you all are just listen to me, women teach, he's going to say in one place, for the older women to teach the younger women, for the women to raise their children, and all that. So they, they have a proper role in what they're doing. And men to teach the younger men. Older men to do whatever, guide and lead the church, guard the garden of God until Jesus come back. And then, because y'all got all these ideas that are all worldly anyway, all of us. And God's like, I'm not interested in any of this. The Bible says in one place, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Everything in the world, God hates the world. And we all, most of the time, running behind it, talking about this is my purpose and that's my purpose. And God's like, man, y'all all hooked up in stuff. Ain't nothing but the enemy or your own mind misleading you down. I want my life to count. It does count already. The fact that God has saved you, your life counts. You can't say, I need to make a mark. You're in the making one. Can you just live peaceably, quietly, and godly? Oh no, I gotta go accomplish something, we say all the time. And many times, the spirit is nothing other than the enemy manipulating it and doing it like he always does. So God tries to tell us, in the church, and then he ends, and I'm going to come back because i got to deal with more of this, but I want to wrap this in here tonight. When he talks about childbearing, if you remember, part of the curse upon Eve was pain in childbearing. So it's a constant reminder, it should be to women, even though everybody today don't want to believe that, but it was a constant reminder, and that is that you all were the ones that did this. He says, but nevertheless... He says, notwithstanding this, you're going to be saved in childbearing if you continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, another place, it's been, in, it's been written like this in the Amplified. It says, nevertheless, the sentence put upon women of pain and motherhood does not hinder their soul's salvation, and they will be saved eternally if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, saved indeed through the childbearing or by the birth of the divine child. So the idea is that through Christ, Mary bearing a son actually is where salvation comes from. So women should never feel like somehow God don't have nothing for me and we're useless. No, no, no. That's why point point Paul said "The, the man is over the woman, but the man is of the woman. He can't get here without a woman. He can't say, I don't need women. That's a stupid statement. you got to have women. There would be no men without women. You know, and and so the idea is that together we complement one another. And he says, so through childbearing, women were saved because Jesus came through childbirth. And ultimately, there was even a a belief that, because a lot of women back in those days would die during childbirth sometimes. And there were people who would say that if a woman died during childbirth, she was cursed and she went to hell and all this stuff. And Paul was like, that's not what's happening. These kind of things are untrue. They're not true. And the bottom line is that women are okay and they were eternally okay, even in childbearing, even if they were to pass. All right, we're going to pick up next week. We're going to go back to these scriptures because we need to, we got some more to plowing to do so that we can plow up some other places where Paul talks about this so we fully understand why he's saying what he's saying here, but we'll pick that up next week.